This is the I Read Comic Books podcast, the very best comic book podcast for regular comic book fans. I'm your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two finalists of this year's IRCB Hunger Games, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Nick White. As long as I'm Jennifer Lawrence, I won't complain. Perfect. Kate, you're PETA. I'm sorry. That's just how the cards fell. (laughs) Team Gale. Team Gale. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, But before we get into the show and argue any further about the Hunger Games, God, that could be an entire episode in itself. Uh, I just want to remind folks, this is the last episode of the year that we're recording. Uh, We do have two fun minisodes that are coming next week. They're going to be really cool. Kate and Paul and Zach put together some really fun things. I can't wait for you guys to listen because uh, from my understanding, they're very, very goofy outside of comic book discussion episodes. So I hope you have fun with them. But I want to remind everybody that we are going to Emerald City Comic Con. IRCB is going to be there. We're going to be live. We're going to be getting together with folks and hanging out and talking comics and showing off the comics that we bought all weekend. It's going to be great. So make sure if you're if you're interested, get your plane ticket, get your hotel, get your ticket to the show. Make sure you can come meet us. We're going to be posting all the details of what we're going to be doing there as we get closer to the actual Uh, convention itself. And the other thing I want to say is that next year is episode 400. We're going to be hitting 400 official episodes of I Read Comic Books, which is an unbelievable achievement that I don't think that 25-year-old Mike, when he started this podcast, would think that would actually happen. So that's crazy. Um, We're going to be doing a live episode on Twitch for that episode. We're going to be talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month as picked by the folks on Goodreads. So make sure you pay attention to stuff over there. And we're going to be doing a mailbag episode. And we're going to be talking about whatever the hell we're going to be doing, basically talking about the last year of I read comic books. It's going to be a huge episode. It's all going to be live on Twitch so you can see our beautiful faces. It's going to be me and Zach and Danny and Nick, I think. I think that's the lineup that we have right now. It's going to be a whole whole organization. Um, I don't even know what we're going to be doing completely yet outside of the stuff I just threw out there. So get ready for that. And if you want to send us an email, you want to send us a message that you want to have us talk about or ask us questions or whatever, send us an email at ircbpodcast at gmail.com and we will talk about whatever you send us um, on that episode within reason. So make sure to send us an email. It's going to be really, really fun. For now, though, I've got to ask two legally mandated questions, and that is, how have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, I guess we're going to start with you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, what a way to kick things off. Uh, what a, just a real <laughs> sigh of resignation. I, I guess we got to start with you. That's fine. Yeah, things have been fine. Uh, West Michigan Weather Watch, we're under a winter weather warning so that's a winter weather warning for the west michigan weather watch it sounds like i'm in a dr seuss book at this point <laughs> yeah um yeah. that's like a doctor who thing really yeah um, don't ask me to talk about any of the rest of it i know matt smith is in it that's fine yeah so that happens tonight very excited maybe we'll get some snow uh other than that just uh nervously trying to get all of my christmas shopping done uh mm-hmm. down to the wire so that's uh, you know, capitalism, that jolly old man. Thank you so much, Santa. And um, beyond that, I uh, paid $50 last night to watch the Lions game, which uh, that's uh, what happens when, uh, you know, thank you, NFL, for locking us out from watching that game. So I now have NFL Plus for the rest of the year. I guess I'll have to try to make use of that. Wait, wait, um, you only have NFL Plus until the end of 2023 no 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 it's it's, it's a full calendar year so okay, okay. yeah 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 I, Be- I, I, believe me the i know exactly what you're thinking nick you know you didn't buy this for three weeks no 
no, no. I mean, that's the thing, though. With sports, the way that they do sports streaming and all of the oh. weird limitations and, like, the way yeah. they do blacking out of different games, I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, you have to buy it for the calendar year, and once the year ends, you have to buy it again on January 1st because they could. Just because yeah. they could, right? The greed has no end when it comes to sports. Sports licensing is just so bonkers. And, yeah, exactly. with, with this exactly. game, if you, like, lived immediately in the Detroit region, for some reason, they got the game, like, local access, but the rest of us had to you know use fubo tv whatever that is or um <laughs> definitely didn't put malware on your you know computer to watch it right yeah i just i just i just binged fubo and then just downloaded whatever it said and i don't know what's going on <laughs> but my computer hasn't worked for three days so <laughs> but you got to watch uh, the lions play sports and that's what's important right yeah exactly exactly so yeah um beyond that i i did manage to read uh some books so i'll just beat you to the punch on that one maybe okay. for the first time i'm like mm -hmm. one for ten at this point <laughs> xander if you want to put up like a nick white you know beating mike to the punch on discussing comics stat line um just you know, audio yeah audio put that up that for in. all of our one our for ten listeners yeah I'll, do, I'll even do the math that's ten percent <laughs> so i read our bones dust uh number one um i know a couple people on the show have read this book and yes, that is the title. No, there's no punctuation. No, mm -hmm. there aren't any other words in it. What does it mean? Um, uh, it was very clear to me. It was uh, you finished the book and uh, it'll be clear. So uh -huh. this uh -huh. is uh, written and drawn by Ben Stenbeck with colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Russ Wooten. Um, if you aren't familiar with Stenbeck's name, I, I can't blame you. It just probably means that you're not like really well versed in the Mike Mignola aesthetically adjacent cohort group. I'm talking like Max Fiamara, Duncan Figredo, you know, Lawrence Campbell, uh, Steinbeck, rather Stenbeck, sorry. Wow, we're getting into some real uh, historical novelists here now. Um, Stenbeck drew the first half of Baltimore. He drew the Frankenstein Underground miniseries. Uh, and he also recently drew uh, the Hellboy um, the Silver Lantern Club miniseries, amongst mm -hmm. other things. Um, not surprised that uh, in terms of having Dave Stewart on colors and Russ Wooten on letters, you basically have more or less the just constant, you know, two people that are on more or less any Mike Mignola book. So they mm -hmm. came along for the ride. That's great. Like, at the very least, you know this book is going to be a pretty one <laughs> from that point. Right. And yeah, at the beginning, that's kind of what I had to cling to. I was starting to read this book, and I was like, oh boy, just another post-apocalyptic narrative. Like, everybody's trying to murder each other over a bottle of Dasani, and everybody's horribly disfigured, uh, and just oodles of scars, and, and, you know, people are just eviscerating other people for saying the wrong thing, and worshiping skulls that are you know part of some cult and i'm like okay like i mean fine um but then the book takes this weird little twist where don't, you have the, don't spoil it too much yeah, though no no don't no 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 no, no this isn't like i'll be careful famous last words nick white nick, i put, swear to god nick, we've been doing the, this we've been doing this show for 400 episodes and i swear I'm to god not gonna the, fool me again no. the number of um, times you've said no spoilers don't no worry spoilers. and then completely spoiled yeah, the book yeah, yeah, yeah. is in the dozens okay <laughs> yeah but you know xander put up the stat line on that too please yeah, um, yeah please what's my percentage um no, I, I, I will describe what happens at the outset of the book and, and, and we will leave it there. So you have these 
I don't know what they are. Are they robots? Are they aliens? Are they are they humans? Are they from the future? What, who knows what they are? But you've got these creatures that have come down to what appears to be Earth. And they're mm-hmm. going through different things on Earth. And they're looking through all the different like remnants of technology that have been strewn around the planet. And they're looking at the satellites in space and trying to read the information from them. And they're like, well, I don't really think there's much else here. We might as well leave. But one of them goes down to the planet and starts following some of the action that happens around. And I think that that's really what helps put this book firmly into the, like, where is this book going? Mm-hmm. Who are these things? What are they doing? What is their goal? Why are they interested in this silent protagonist who, like, stole a bottle of water and now he's got this gang coming after him? I, I think it adds such a good amount of interesting questions that propel this book out of the terrible people doing terrible things to other terrible people because somebody wants a drink of water, mm-hmm. um, which is already happening in modern society, so not that much of a departure, I guess. Um, <laughs> Nick the Optimist. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's. I think you're totally right, though, with this book, because the thing is, anybody can do a dystopian, it's the end of the world, Mad Max style, we're running out and of gas, we're running out of water. And these days, it feels even more well-worn, right? Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very overdone, and I think that... Steinbeck has Stenbeck, excuse me, has and on the, it's the same thing. Uh, Stenbeck has done something to say. I'm going to take that idea and I'm going to twist it enough to where you, I, I add an extra interesting piece of this. This is what we need in this type of genre. Like we're going to do crazy, wild, dystopian bullshit, whatever. But there's another layer here that adds a whole different set of intrigue to the story that made me super excited for issue two like i'm so jazzed for how this issue ended to be like i there's i have no choice but to pick up this next issue and i think that's how you do a good indie mini series that's going to hopefully conclude in a way that is satisfying i don't care at this point like number two is coming home with me one way or another because i gotta know what happens with these folks yeah and i think um I, I, I always appreciate when you have artists that shift over to writing mm-hmm. that they don't try to get superly ambitious and be like, you know, look at me, you know, I can do, you know, how do I put this? Um, how do you put this without calling someone out, Nick? Go yeah, ahead. yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, 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 I think I, I think sometimes when people switch over, they like try to like really prove that they're this big writer and they're going to use a whole bunch of words and they're going to do a whole bunch of things. When in fact, most artists that have been artists for a long time, like they've already mastered storytelling, visual storytelling with a, with as few or as, you know, minimalist words as needed. I think that they've already figured that out. And so when you, when you flip over, like go strength to strength, like do what you know how to do. And I think having a book where I'm pretty sure, is this a spoiler? The main character, I think says something or borderline nothing. Yeah. And the book's dialogue is sparse. It's efficient. It's to the point. This book doesn't get hyper wordy because somebody goes, well, I guess I'm writing the book now, so I better write a really big book. No different than when you have novelists who are new to comic books and they decide that they're going to write a comic book and it gets hyper wordy and it's mm-hmm. just, you know, well, I better fill the page, right? It's like, well, I yeah. better fill the page syndrome. And But Steinbeck does not do this at all. That's what you're saying. <laughs> 
Stenbeck. Stenbeck did oh not. My. This guy did not write Travels with Charlie. Right, right, right. Um, Stenbeck does not do this in his book. Yeah. Um, anyway, this guy wrote The Grapes of Wrath in his free time several decades ago, so he's just a <laughs> remarkably resilient individual. Anyways, uh, Nick, please wrap up this talk about this book. We have to move yeah. on. Please wrap it up before one of us accidentally attributes more novels to his name. Yes, yes please. Um, look, it's a beautiful book. It's an exciting book. It has intriguing questions, and it looks fucking great. I can't. I mean, I, I almost feel like I don't have to say that just because the art team is so solid. But it mm-hmm. looks so good, and Stenbeck absolutely nails what I'm pretty sure is his first writing job by just sticking to his strengths. And the visual mm-hmm. storytelling is so good. Absolutely. Um, everybody that I've recommended this book to has turned around and said, oh, my God, how did I not know about this book? Thank you so much, because it is it is that good of a book. So, yeah, I'm totally on board with what you're saying here, Nick. Um, but it, let's let's move on really quick. Kate, what how have you been? How have comic books been? I've been good. I, you know, I haven't been as highbrow as Nick, um, not reading any great American icons, uh, but I picked up <laughs> Gideon Falls Volume 1, The Black Barn uh-huh. from the library. Uh-huh. And this is something that's been on my to-read list for several years. I want to say since it first started in 2018, so it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the book by Jeff Lemeyer, Andrea Sorrentino, and Dave Stewart. And the volume one is the first six issues. So I went into this knowing almost nothing other than it's a creepy rural mystery, urban horror kind of book. Um, and I loved it. I The art obviously is gorgeous. You know that going in with an Andrea Sorrentino book. Um, but it's this really interesting um, mix of two perspectives. Um, you have one point of view character that is living in a big city and is theoretically mentally ill, having these hallucinations of a black barn that is evil and he's going around picking through trash and working with his therapist and uh, who thinks this is also psychosis. And then on the other hand, you have a fallen from grace priest who's trying to make a comeback after getting his alcoholism under control and is sent to this small town where horrible things start to happen. And of course, he's the initial suspect because he has this essentially rap sheet with the cops um, and is the new person in town. And this this back and forth uh, between these two unreliable narrators, as you get drawn more and more in to this um, essentially conspiracy theory, you're go- getting more and more into it as they are. And same with like the... Mm individuals therapists where more and more you're like wait are they crazy like is this (laughs) is this a thing i loved it and the art does such a good job of um giving you that unbalanced feeling and that kind of topsy-turvy what is real what is not kind of thing and just being very spooky i did not expect the trippy stuff that comes i don't want to spoil anything but it takes Mm -hmm. a turn that is not at all what I was expecting, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, and I'm really hoping it stays this good uh, because this seems like my next series to plow through because my library had all six books sitting there on the shelf. Uh, so that's nice. my plan this afternoon before the bad weather hits is to run into town and pick pick up uh, the next five. Kate's, go, Kate's go like, ahead, I know Nick, it's about the storm. Shatter my dreams. 
<laughs> no, I, I I feel like you're just like, hey, you know, it's about the snow and about to be locked inside my house. What better to read it than one of the scariest books to be published from Image <laughs> yeah. in a few years? <laughs> um, oh, you'll have to let us know how that goes, Kate, because hopefully you will keep internet because you'll have to keep us upgraded, updated in the group chat. <laughs> oh, we for sure will lose power if it, if what happens, we're supposed to, um, assuming that it happens, so we're supposed to get 50 mile an hour winds, which, which are shitty rural uh, oh. infrastructure means no power for at least 10 hours so we're doing the whole Oof. like bring out the blankets and generator and right, uh, right, right. your, your lands which is part of why i want to get physical books because eventually your ipad dies in those times so right 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 <laughs> well um one way or another hopefully we hear from you and uh <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear what you think of the rest of Gideon Falls. Um, well, let me let me talk a little bit about what, how I've been in such uh, and uh, some books that I've been reading. Um, yesterday was Pokemon Community Day, uh, the first of two <laughs> days because we are wrapping up 2023 with a two-day Pokemon Go event um, from 2 to 5 today and yesterday as of recording on Sunday. Um, they're revisiting all of the previous Community Days of the year. And yesterday I got 19 Shinies and two four-star Pokemon. And for those of you that out there that know what I'm talking about, high five, you're cool. Everyone else, you're dumb and you suck. Um, so <laughs> I had a pretty fun day yesterday, just driving around in my car, uh, walking around the park, listening to podcasts and catching Pokemon, because that's how you're supposed to spend your Saturdays in December, as far as I'm concerned. Go outside and go for a walk and catch Pokemon. But I did read some comic books. Um, I got in the mail recently uh, a copy of this book that I backed on Kickstarter called Try Not to Die. This is the first issue of a five-issue series, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this is by Damian Becton with art by Kenneth Laster, letters by Reed Hinckley Barnes. I'll post a link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. Um, but essentially, the story is five people are abducted after apparently dying in classic horror movie moments. And they wind up in this weird limbo state where they have to survive their murders once again or be the last one standing. It's really it's a little confusing. But the idea is there's like this Hellraiser Cenobite alien monster that has essentially brought these people into a limbo space. And for entertainment purposes, they're reliving their murders. But if they survive them in the reliving state, they will survive. But all five of them are experiencing it once. It's a it's a really weird concept that I was kind of not bought in on until the end of the issue had a really interesting twist that I said, oh, there's like another layer of like interesting bits that's happening on this book. Um, not in the same way that our Bones Dust has it, where there's like actually a cool third layer. It's mostly the twist with one of the characters I did not see coming. And I really, really like the way that this book is going. Plus, it feels like Hellraiser. And I'm always on board for someone at least trying to <laughs> do something like that i listened to a podcast recently where they were talking about hellraiser 2 and i was like oh man that movie is so stupid it fucking rules um and that's what this i kind of got out of this book it was it's kind of an absurd concept but it is well executed and it's super well lettered i do want to call out the lettering in this book as being something that really immersed me in driving the way that I was following the comic. And I feel, feel like some books try to do that where they try to guide you through the pages with lettering and it sometimes doesn't work. This book had a really wild circular layout on like a two-page spread and the lettering got me from place to place in a way that I feel like many books who have tried to do that super duper can't do it very well. Um, so I don't know, really like this book. Um, the first issue was pretty pricey it was like 13 dollars for the physical copy um but it was only four or five bucks for the first issue digitally so like i feel like that's the right pricing for an indie kickstarter where there's only like two thousand or a thousand copies being made um yeah. 
but yeah, it's pretty good. Really high quality print when I got the book. It was very well packaged, came with a really cool sticker. The design on this series is really, really cool. There's one thing that I think a lot of comic books don't get, um, especially in the indie scene sometimes um, on Kickstarter and books that I've backed and books that I've decided not to back because of this. But the design of your book, the layout of the cover, the the logo that you use really, really can help drive the cool factor of your book. Um and I'm not saying that a good story is dictated by a cool logo because we know we've read plenty of comic books with really cool logos and they stink. But I will say from like a perspective of a potential person who wants to crowdfund a comic, a cool logo will get me to at least read through your comic book Kickstarter. So um, just throwing that out there for folks, folks that may be listening. Um, but yeah, this is a really cool book. I can't wait for number two. So Try Not to Die number two is probably coming out, I think, in 2024. If you can, I would say get on the like. I don't know, information list for this book um, because I really think this is a, a killer book coming out from Kickstarter or from these creators on Kickstarter. So um, Nick, talk about one more book real quick and I'm going to talk about one more too because I read another big, huge book. Okay. Well, uh, apparently I've got a type. This is really going to step outside my comfort <laughs> zone for sure. Mm-hmm. And by step outside my comfort zone, I mean this book literally has the same colorist and literally the same letterer as the previous book I just discussed. You know what you're about. Exactly. I, I have a type, folks, and uh, that type is Giant Robot Hellboy number two. Uh, look, here's this book again. <laughs> so, Here on. it is again. So you went from Hellboy Creators on an independent book yeah, to a Hellboy yeah. book. Okay. Nick. Let's go back to the source, guys. Let's go back to the source. There's a through okay. line here. Okay. Okay. Nick, you talked about this book maybe a month ago. Is it basically the exact same thing? Yeah. Who cares? Like, I need people need to hear more about this. Look, if if I don't stand up for Hellboy, if Mike if Mike Mignola does not have me in his corner, then who <laughs> who does this poor man who has had three three movies to his name who does he turn to right, uh, right. in this time of need? Twenty uh, plus years of success in the comic industry. Whatever, <laughs> whatever will Mike Mignola do? Uh, look, I gotta I gotta stand up for these indie creators okay (laughs) (laughs) oh my god nick tell us about giant robot hellboy 2 please (laughs) yeah okay uh look story by mike mignola we've talked about this that story is probably a 30 second voice message that he put on 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 the artist's phone Mm -hmm. uh art by duncan figredo letters by dave stewart letters by clem robbins look it's 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 just another issue of a giant robot that looks like Hellboy fighting a monster who is certainly not based on Godzilla for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike Mignola probably thinks to himself, well, how do I outdo that? Uh, and, and then true inspiration, wherever true inspiration comes from, uh, it arrives. Uh, and that's when the the, you know, the the titular um, neon Genesis trench coat demon. I'm being witty here. That's giant robot Hellboy. Uh <laughs> In a move reminiscent of a late 1990s Mike Myers-led film, uh, launched missiles out of his erect robotic nipples. Um, <laughs> hopefully, that's the first time and the last time I say that turn of phrase on this podcast. What the hell? <laughs> it's a very hell yeah moment that you then pause and think about for a few seconds afterwards i'm just gonna say that for the folks on patreon who get our show notes you will be able to read that verbatim in this week's show notes um so support us on patreon to get access to these raw notes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, podcast notes after dark um Mm -hmm. 
Does this issue offer up more monsters? Absolutely. Does the mecha have even more weapons? Of course. The action ramps up, Fergredo's art looks even better than ever, and the mysterious B-plot only gets more intriguing, maybe to a point it's hinted at that Jesse Lonergan's recent Hellboyverse uh, efforts from earlier this year with Miss Truesdale and the fall of Hyperborea mm. may be tied into this book, which is such a weird little discovery. That will make sense for about two people. Right. And you love it, though. That's the piece that you left off there, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's super exciting. Like, I did not think I was going to see very small little snippet of Jesse Lonergan's art somehow end up in this book, and yet it does. I won't say anything more on that. Okay. This book continues to be an absolute visual delight, and as I already said, haha, so weird, Dave Stewart again, Clem Robbins again, mm-hmm. like, they're on loner from Mike Mignola, like, you know, Mike unshackles them from the table where they work misery style in the basement and says, you have to go you have to go work for Ben this month, mm-hmm. but don't get too attached because I need you to come back here because I need help because the only person who advocates for me regularly is Nick White and God bless him. And um, <laughs> what would I do without him? Mike, yeah. put that on the back of your next trade. What would I do without him? Yeah. Parentheses, Nick White, close parentheses. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll Please make sure it. to send a letter out to Dark Horse about that. <laughs> um well, let me talk about one more book really quick before we move into the top of our pile. Um, I also read I Am Stan, a graphic biography of the legendary Stanley. This is written and drawn and completely put together by Tom Scioli. Um, if you don't know, Tom Scioli did another unofficial comic very much like this, um, because this book is not sanctioned by the Stanley estate, is not sanctioned by anyone who, by Marvel Comics, not sanctioned by anybody, right? Like, I believe this is published semi-independently beyond any major publisher. So Scioli puts out this beautiful little hardcover about uh, Jack Kirby a couple years back um, about Jack Kirby's life, um, which to me felt like a more focused biography than this Stan Lee one. Um, But I, I feel like this book intentionally tried to get through a lot of Stan Lee's life as fast as possible in order to talk about some of the major issues and major celebrations of Stanley's life later that happened in like his 40s and 50s, but had to add all of this baseline to explain how Stanley rose from just a kid who was working in the timely comics like news office. And before they even called timely comics, there was another name, the magazine company that published these comics. Um, he worked as like kind of a, a nobody and eventually rose to be the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. And it's an incredible journey. And I think maybe a lot of us know this. Maybe a lot of us have read other stories about this because I will say Scioli cited the hell out of this book. Like there's at least three pages of citations to go through where he found all this information as well as to add like like he adds a, a prelude to the book that says like, hey, some of this is kind of inferred based off of conversations. Nothing, none of this can actually be taken as complete fact. But I try my best to basically try to put a whole story together here to explain Stanley's entire life. Um, and so I don't know, this this book was really wild because it, the way that Scioli told things, he basically leaves no breathing room, right? Like scenes will bleed into each other without leading, leaving any breathing room and years seem to pass between panels. Stan will be talking to someone in panel one and then in panel three, he's talking to a different person, some famous artist that maybe you've never heard of, right? Or you've, or you've definitely heard of, I should say, like he'll be talking to Kirby, then Steve Ditko, then, you know, name a dozen other famous Marvel artists, you know, John Romita Jr., John Romita Sr., I should say. 
yeah, it's it's a wild book that tries, like I said, tries to get through time as quickly as possible without leaving out details that were probably crucial, small conversations that led to ma- major impacts. Like, why did Jack Kirby not actually work on Spider-Man? Well, there was this up and coming guy named Steve Ditko that Stanley had met in college or when he was when Steve Ditko was in college um, and said, hey, we need somebody to do the Spider-Man book. Why don't you give it a shot? And then Ditko ends up, you know, running the freaking show for for the first dozen issues or however long he ran it. So um, it's it's really interesting the way at which Scioli approaches this story again to try to get to these major points as fast as possible because it's only 184 pages long. Um, and I really can't begrudge Scioli for speeding through things because I feel like it's it it gets through to every point and it gets to the major pieces and moments that are actually like defining for Stanley's life in in the i would say like more modern history of things right stanley in the 70s and 80s and when he had this big falling out with marvel when he tried to get ownership of all of these characters then he started doing cameos in movies and there are these these big fallout moments where he was doing a tv show and he had we, like people on this show uh, like things that i didn't know about but seemed to be extremely like life-changing for him in ways that were both beneficial and detrimental right like I don't know, like there, this book does not shy away from the brighter and the darker moments. Like it's it's very the truth warts and all about Stan Lee, even in the end of his life, like ha- this this whole mishap and hand- mishandling and, you know, TMZ and all the various like uh, tabloid articles talking about his family life and how it wasn't working. Like after his wife died, it seems like everything fell apart for him. And I think some of us remember the there was that video that came out of Stan Lee talking about how he was of say you know stable mind and yeah. uh, like Scioli covers all of this stuff like in a way that is almost like grossly honest but like it would be almost a, a harm to the story and the harm to the story of Stanley's life to change it in any way. Um, so I don't know I I like the way that Scioli went through this book but again it feels super rushed and I feel like if you weren't someone like you know, me or someone like, you know, I'm sure you listening like to this episode and you know all of these things about comic book history or you've heard these names, you might be a little lost. Like, I think if I gave this to a non-comic reader, they wouldn't get a third of it because there are just names thrown out there with no citations of like who this person is, what the relevancy is, something that I feel like a a creator like Box Brown does better in their series where they add little footnotes as to why this person is important to the story and who they are in relation to the greater story at hand. Um, And again, this isn't stories so much as, you know, the real life of these people's um or the real story of these people's lives but um nonetheless names are kind of just thrown willy-nilly i think with an understanding that you know who they are um and i think if again if you weren't like a deep college comic reader you might be losing some of this um Hmm. so i don't know it's it's an interesting book i will say i think the jack kirby book is better because i think it's it's more focused and maybe jack kirby's life was maybe a little bit easier to understand because stanley did live this humongous bombastic life interacting with all sorts of different things and i think especially near the end of the book where you hear about him cameoing all these movies and how he's making money just to make sure that him and his wife and his daughter are fine. Um, it's, it's a really interesting thing to see that side of things. Like why did Stanley do all of those movies? Is it just an homage or was like he trying to just keep money coming in because all of his endeavors that he had is as a late and later in life, like just didn't pan out. Right. Um, I don't know. It's, Again, it's interesting, but I do think the Jack Kirby book is better. Regardless, these books look amazing side by side on my shelf. It's nice to have a big book that says Jack Kirby and then right next to it's I Am Stan. Like, 
something about that just is, is really, really cool. So I would say give this book a shot, um, but know that it, it's going to feel a little weird. Um, but I think that's kind of its charm is that it feels dreamy in the same way that I feel like Stan Lee's life was kind of too big to be real. So I don't know. That's my final summation on it. Do you feel it's pretty um, even keeled? Because I, 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 I can't help but find it so interesting that, you know, Scioli being... Um, I, I, I think heavily inspired by Jack Kirby would be a mm-hmm. massive understatement. Yeah. Um, I think that obviously like, I, I, I think for, for Scioli, Jack Kirby is probably the, maybe the largest singular, you know, inspiration. Yeah. Just especially just visually look at all of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fascinating to have someone like that suddenly writing this book. Yeah. about i mean nemesis is, is not the correct yeah. word but it's like you know this this oppositional force i guess um well especially given the the unpleasant history between kirby and and stanley right like a hundred percent i i think this book is pretty honest right i think that the kirby book like the jack kirby book takes the stance i think of jack kirby where he said you know those characters were mine and they were stolen from me right And I think the Stan Lee book takes Stan's stance, which is we were co-creators. We worked on these things together. I created a lot of this stuff. And sometimes these artists and what I think is really interesting is that the book Stan's story changes over time in the book. Right. And I think that's because Stan's story changed over time Mm -hmm. in real life where he Mm -hmm. went from, oh, we were co-creators. We would talk about it and then they would go and draw it and I would come back and put words on it. Or and then eventually later in life, he'd say, I'd write up a description. I'd tell them what they wanted to put in the comic book and then Jack would draw it and then I'd put the words on top of it. So like his story, while doesn't it doesn't feel different in the way that he tells it is clearly a different story in the end of by the end of his life right when he was trying to get these characters back when he was trying to say oh stan lee was the creator of all this stuff his story changes just enough to make it seem like he was the creator whereas it feels like in the 70s and the 60s he was talking the way that he would talk about these characters is like oh we worked on them together it was a collaborative process we both created this thing um so i i think that Sioli is honest about that and doesn't shy away from i i think adhering to what stan said in life right like I, I don't think that he takes the side of Kirby in a lot of ways. I think he takes mm-hmm. the side of how he tries to depict the story, how Stan told it. So, yeah, it's it feels like it skews towards more towards like, oh, Stan is actually the owner. But if you read the book, it's pretty clear that like Stan believed that he had he was kept collaborators and then eventually turned it into, no, I own these things because I came up with the idea. But that's not just because of the comics. That was the way that he thought about most things. If I was the idea person, therefore, I own it. Um, yeah again you should read the book because i do think one it's a quick read i feel like some coe books take days (laughs) this this book i sat down and read in a sitting and it was it was very enjoyable it's very engaging and i think that almost dreamlike state of the way that the book tells its story helps with that a lot so enough about that go read this book it's very good um maybe again the kirby book is better but they're both great books Let's move on. Let's talk about comics on the top of a pile, uh, comics that are new or old or just something you're trying to get off of your shelf. Um, let me see. Uh, let me let me talk about some of the folks that are hanging up with us on Discord first, though. Um, Hugh is going to be reading Rare Flavors number three, which I can't wait for that book, too, is almost the top of my pile this week. Uh, Danny's going to be reading Animal Pound number one. I have no idea what that is. Danny, tell us about it in the chat. Um, and Paul G is going to be reading Glitch number two. Um Kate, let's bounce back over to you. What is on the top of your pile this week? 
For me, the top of my pile is uh, OGN called British Ice by Owen D. Pomery. It's an Arctic Noir mystery. I don't know. It sounds like maybe this started out on Comixology Submit. Is that true? Okay. So I, the only reason I bring that up is because I feel like years ago, Nick sent me this book and was like, you got to check this out. Or yeah. it was like always on sale or something like that. And little did I know that years later, Nick would still be sending me this guy's art. And as I said <laughs> in an episode recently, he bullied me into buying this Kickstarter. <laughs> Not really. Um, but yeah, I did get his recent book, Owen D. Promery's book, uh, The Hard Switch, as well as a copy of his book, Victory Point. So, Kate, all I was all I was noting there in our notes is that you're going to have a good time because Pomery's art is absolutely stunning. So the art is what made me uh, blind draw it off the shelf at the library, where mm -hmm. um, it is this beautiful pencil art with all blue-gray tones. And so it works really well, at least from... Obviously, I haven't read this yet, so I say works well in terms of flipping through the pages for a few minutes at the library um, mm -hmm. for like an Arctic setting. And it's about a whistleblowing diplomat who um, is kind of grappling with the legacy of colonialism at this uh, far outpost mm -hmm. and caught between kind of the hostile locals and the British government and this unforgiving physical landscape. He's... Finding dark secrets and yada yada, all the, all the noiry sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I, well, say it with me now. Love the seasonally appropriate reads, and this looks like the perfect <laughs> January book. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all snowy and gorgeous. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also just really like the kind of historical mystery slash noir reads um, about various uh places that i don't i'm not particularly familiar with so this this just sounds right up my alley and looks beautiful so i'm excited for this how about you guys nice nice i this look i, I you know i never read this book <laughs> i think i owed a copy i don't know if i still have access to it r.i.p comics algae forever um but yeah we'll I'll have to look for it but this looks look beautiful i mean it's it's ond pomery and i think we are obsessed with this creator on this podcast now but um let me talk about a book really quick that's on the top of my pile. I also picked a seasonally appropriate comic book, Kate. Hell yeah, Mike. <laughs> for once in my life. Um, during the big Black Friday sale that, kit, that Fantagraphics did a little while back, I decided to go apeshit. I don't know what my problem was this year, but I just went crazy. And I picked up a copy of Walt Disney's Donald Duck, A Christmas for Shacktown, The Complete Carl Barks, Disney Volume Number 11. I don't know how Fantagraphics is collecting these books, but I feel like they're publishing them in like a weird order. This is volume 11, but according to their website, it's the second volume that they've published. So I don't know how that works. But nonetheless, this is Carl Barks doing Donald Duck comics. Um, sometimes, like I said, I get suckered into these books when Kara says, so, oh, those Carl, Bar book, Carl Barks books are the best. And, you know, I just believe Kara at this point, like anything she says is good. Come on especially when it comes to properties like this. Like, how do you look through the myriad of of Disney comic books that have existed over the past, like, 100 years and say, which are the good ones? And it turns out Kara has read a lot of those and knows the good ones. So she recommended Carl Barks. I said, yeah, I tried to get another book of his. It was sold out last year when they did a sale. And this year, I saw that they had this other book. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get this hopefully in time for Christmas so I can actually read it. And uh, yeah, I figure... 
though that this book collects not only the titular 32-page story, but apparently a bunch of other well-loved classic Donald Duck stories um, that in involve the entire Duck clan, including Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and Scrooge McDuck. And quite honestly, Scrooge McDuck is maybe one of my favorite like villainous friendly characters who's like a piece of shit rich guy who's just so rich it's absurd i for some reason find that to be absolutely hilarious the same way that i find dr doom to be the best villain because he's so absurd in what he is and what he does so what i'm saying is that uh you know scrooge mcduck is the victor von doom of the disney universe um okay. can't wait for that matchup um when those two have to fight each other in the eventual disney v marvel crossover event that's probably coming in 2027 but um yeah i'm very excited though because uh, this is the beginning of me actually climbing the mountainous um, pile of comics that i have sitting at my house that need to be read because i'm telling myself that with rare exception in 2024 i'm not going to buy any new comic books i'm putting it out here to the world to say Ooh. this live on the podcast so call me out when you see this not happening um but i'm not going to buy any new comic books um except for you know there's those things that you like can't ever get right like a kickstarter for instance maybe but not a lot of them i'm going to cut back on my kickstarters um but like i'm going to still keep collecting things like saga enfield gang ice cream man things that are like part of the regular rotation of things but like until i read all of these goddamn comic books in my house this is not the digital library yet we haven't gotten there that's a 2025 problem all of the physical books in my house must be read before i really start to get into new comics so yeah, that's what I'm doing this year. Um, and this Donald Duck book is one of them. I've got a Mickey Mouse book. I've got a dozen other Fanagraphics books that I bought. The Tenacious D comic book that came out that was apparently written and drawn by Tenacious D. I didn't even know that was a thing, but apparently um, I, I got it. Uh, yeah, so don't worry, folks. It's, it's, it's just me trying to save some money and maybe read some comic books. But nonetheless, I'm trying to stick to it. This is the beginning of that. Um, and I hope it's I hope it's worth it. <laughs> you know, we'll see. Uh, everyone's all right. Listen, if you're going to call me out in the chat like that, um, I'm going to kick you all off of discord. Uh, let's take a quick break. No, I'm just kidding. Nick, talk, talk, tell us about what book you read next before we go into the break. I mean, I got to hand it to you. I'm pretty sure you just shattered your 2024 resolution before it even started. But hey, hey. that's fine. <laughs> uh so, um, yeah, my pick for this week, uh, let me say this, uh, sometimes we read things for the weirdest reasons, mm -hmm. uh, and my pick for this week, uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker number four, uh, is very much belonging to that camp. Um, this is written by Zach Thompson, art by Valeria Burzo, colors by Jason Wardy, letters by Joe Sabino, um, I sort of anticipated that my Christmas shopping this year was going to continue to be the bane of my existence. So last weekend, I already started uh, with some pre-pre-podcast prep uh, and started scouting the books coming out on December 20th. And I saw this book and uh, the title understandably stood, stuck out. And I said, you know, next thing I know, I'm looking up what the series is about. And it's like, hey, weird shit happens on this ranch in the mid 90s. And it might be about cryptids and it might be aliens and, and it might be both. And, and then I'm finding out that this book is apparently an adaptation of a 2005 nonfiction book mm -hmm. uh, titled uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Science confronts the unexplained at a remote ranch in Utah. Yeah. So they just went ahead and they just chopped the subtitle off because why would you put that on the front of a comic book? Um, uh, to get people like me even more excited to pick up exactly. the comic book. Duh. 
Yeah, and then I find out this nonfiction book exists because, uh, you know, apparently, allegedly, this shit really happened. Yeah, that's what nonfiction Put, means, Nick. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Put big quotes around really happened, though, please, everyone. Um, I was going to say nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just put quotes around all of it. Um, so, additionally, uh, the events of this were also recounted for a 2018 documentary uh, titled Hunt for the Skinwalker. So, the next thing I know, I'm reading the first three issues of this comic in a blur. And the next thing I know, I'm buying the fucking book that the comic is based on. Yes. Um, let me give you a short summary of this. Actually, it's not that short. Fuck. Uh Quote, rarely do scientists have the opportunity to study and measure a recurring series of mysterious and inexplicable events in the field. So in 1996, a team of open-minded researchers from the National Institute for Discovery Science, founded and funded by Las Vegas businessman, there's a great thing, uh, Robert Bigelow, jumped at the chance to investigate weird phenomena still occurring on a cattle ranch in Unitaw County, Utah. Uh, its owner had been plagued for the past two years by odd disappearances, manifestations of a shape-shifting entity the Ute Indians call a skinwalker, floating blue orbs of light, cattle mutilations, a giant wolf that seems unaffected by bullets, that's my favorite part, yes. uh, and a sinister hyena-like creature. Biochemist Kelleher tells a story of the team's experiences on the ranch as a, quote, ambition, ambitious if unconventional example of what science is supposed to do, explore the unknown. Mm -hmm. admittedly for me i was really interested to see how the comics team attempted to basically truncate a 320 page book into roughly 120 pages of comics uh, i can't fully speak to the success of this as i haven't quite read the book yet um but the comic never felt had me feeling like i missed a bunch or was left out sure thompson isn't exactly one of my big favorite uh writers but i like his work here I absolutely loved Burzo's art on Castle Full of Blackbirds, which was a Hellboy verse title that came out about a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jason Wordy, absolutely colorist legend, um, doesn't get enough credit. Totally. Uh, he's worked on such books as Kaya uh, and Wasted Space within the last couple of years. Um, and yeah, I just, I was thinking about this and I sort of like miss back like going back to like mid 90s conspiracy theories when it was like, hey, what if the government lied about aliens or hey, like, you know, uh, what if these cryptids really exist? And of course, conspiracy theories now are more like, um, uh, gosh, are birds real? Um, flat Earth theory. Um, and, and, and of course, with some of these things, you can say that the people who created them knew that they were fake. But th it sure. still says something about modern society that there are other people who have heard that admission and continue to believe in said things. Um, so I just sort of yearn for mid 90s conspiracy theories. And if you want to, you know, see me get on my soapbox, I think a lot of this has to do with like pre and post 9-11 uh, media consumption and also just sort of pre 9-11 media versus post 9-11 media and sort of the like the things that you could say on on like X-Files in, in the mid and late 90s, you know, post 9-11, if you're like, hey, the government is lying to you about X, Y and Z. Um, you know, you you know, people were busy watching 24 at that point where, you know, the Department of Homeland Security is now a thing. And, mm -hmm. and, and um, you know, um, to believe that they were lying would be a shattering of the universe. right. You can't do that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can't do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I again, a little bit of a weird little tangent there, but it definitely had me yearning back to mm -hmm. Mulder and Scully in those eras. And yeah, it's it's a weird there's some weird shit. There was some weird shit that went on and it's not easily mm -hmm. explainable. And I'm I'm totally uh, interested 
and and ready for issue four because uh what a ride that book has been well um, i i didn't know that this book existed i love the story of the skinwalker ranch just because of how mysterious and weird it is um i would recommend if you want more on this from a podcast that i love um maybe you won't uh it's called last podcast <laughs> on the left you probably maybe have heard of it they did an entire multi-part series about skinwalker ranch which is a whole thing uh this book that nick was talking about hunt for the skinwalker the longer title was one of the sources they used for that book uh or for that series that they did so if you want more i think that that's a great that's a great uh, re- uh resource i guess but um yeah, man, that's that's fun stuff. I freaking I freaking love conspiracy theory stuff. It's just this is also why I love Department of Truth. I mean, like, come on, like, uh, anyways, I'm glad I did not know that this book existed, and I'm very glad to. I'm gonna buy it, even though I just told you guys I wasn't gonna buy new comics. <laughs> um, so with that, we're gonna take yeah. we're gonna take a quick yeah. break. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, um, we're gonna forget that I said that uh, and yeah. talk about comics that we are we loved in 2023. Um, and we'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, we are talking about our 2023 comic book reading in review, some of our favorite books that we read in 2023. I'm going to be completely honest, though. You've probably heard me talk about all of these books on the show already. So if you are a dedicated every single week reader or listener, I don't know if you read the show, maybe you just read transcripts. I don't know. You've probably heard us talk about some of these books, but we're going to go through them one more time in case this is your first ever episode of I Read Comic Books. Thank you for getting so far. We really appreciate it because I've got to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get into things. And that is to say, I got to remind you, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Goodreads. We're still technically on Twitter, at least as long as the site is up. Um, But we have a really fun, prolific Discord. That's great. And Goodreads are we have a YouTube channel that Danny puts together, which is amazing. Um, So make sure to check all those links in the show notes. And as always, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast, where you can get access to all of our wonderful series, such as IRCB Movie Club, Better Batmobile, Mike's X-Men Blind Box, Book versus Book, Giant Days of Our Lives, so many more, 100 plus episodes of content that's just on Patreon. So make sure to check that out at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. So let's talk about comics of 2023 the books that we love the most whether they came out in 2023 or not i think we may have leaned a little bit more towards recency but we'll see um so i guess to kick things off i want to start with a book that i didn't think that i was going to like and then it turns out that i loved and that is superman for all seasons this is by jeff Loeb and tim sale i know maybe you're out there screaming in your car or at home or whatever (laughs) mike how could you not think you were gonna like Superman for all seasons. It's one of the best. Honestly, Jeff Loeb, whenever I see that name on a comic book, I'm always hesitant unless it's a long Halloween. Um, so I don't know. I heard same team that did the long Halloween. I really, really like this book. Uh, you know, it's a it's a <clears throat> it's very similar to Batman the Long Halloween, where we follow Superman for um over a period of time. And uh yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just one of those books that when I finished it. I said, oh, no, this is exactly what Superman should be. I don't know if either of you read this book, but um, it's one of those old, old classics. Um, Okay. Yeah. I I recommend years ago. I I mean, I recommend it's a four issue miniseries um, that follows Superman through the spring, summer, fall and winter. And uh, we get different narrators in each episode or each issue. um, First by Jonathan Kent, then by Lois Lane, uh, then Lex Luthor, then by Lana Lang. And uh, yeah, it's a it's just a beautiful little book. Like I don't even want to tell you about it other than to say like this is the story about what how other people see Superman. Um and it's great. 
I don't know. It's 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 a perfect little comic book, um, and it's Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, so you know it kind of looks and reads pretty well for when it came out at the time. So, uh, Nick, what about you? What's one of the books that's uh, in the best of twenty twenty three for you, or at least that you read in twenty twenty three? Sure. So, I mean, let, let's just get this one out of the way because um, obviously I'm very biased. So we'll just we'll just bury this book right now and be done with it. Yeah, there were multiple contenders for best alien book of 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel did not make this easy. And again, I talk about how you know future uh, data scientists will never really be able to totally parse out the fucking uh, metadata categorization <laughs> mess that is comics. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that in 2023, there were three books that came out called Aliens. There was Aliens... <laughs> Parentheses 2022 to 2023. There was Aliens just 2023. And there was Aliens 2023 to 2024. There's three of them. But for me, the one that I thought was really, really good was Aliens uh, 2023. Just 2023. Uh, This was the beginning of Declan Shalvey's run um, with Andrea Bricardo on art. Uh, And for me, this is... uh, this is probably the no. This is definitely the best alien book um, we've seen since Marvel um, acquired Twentieth uh, Century Fox. Interesting. Um, I think Shalvey is the best writer. I th- n- no knock against Philip Kennedy Johnson. I thought his work was really good. I thought his first two arcs were much stronger than the third. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like uh, Shalvey has a real knack for these characters. And I really appreciated the fact that Marvel took a risk or didn't care or tried to save money, whichever one it is. We don't know. I don't know. Uh I I, want to say, take a risk um, to just try to be positive Uh, and put a really, they cast against type when it came to picking the artist, Andrea Bricardo. Mm -hmm. Um, The artwork is brighter. Um, The color palette is also brighter. Um, and it just doesn't traditionally look like an alien book would look. I think if you if you look at um, Salvador LaRocca being brought on when Philip Kennedy Johnson initially began his run, I think that art style, and obviously I have tons of thoughts about it, but that art style was what, quote unquote, people thought an alien book should look like. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I have absolutely loved um, Shelby's work. Um, I think Ricardo is a fantastic artist. Um, I believe Bricardo was brought back. Um, there's only one issue out, so I can't remember exactly. Bricardo was brought back for Alien 2023 to 2024, um, which in my mind was was a stellar choice. And um, yeah, really, really enjoying this book. Um, yeah, Shelby's doing a great job with that. Hell yeah. Honestly. Yeah, I, I need to get caught up on this. This is a book that I, I have in some capacity. If not, I'll just check it out on Marvel Unlimited. Um, but yeah, this I mean, the alien books have been pretty darn good since Marvel took over, which is a surprise to me. I don't know. I, I expected a pretty high bar for, for you, Nick. And you said that they yeah. were pretty interesting, which is like pretty much sign off that these books are going to be good, because I feel like your expectation of what the alien franchise could be is pretty high up there. So um, the fact that you're saying this is better than Philip Kennedy Johnson's run, which I thought was amazing, is yes. saying something to me. Yeah. And I think I think part of the strength and again, is this um deliberately calculated decision making or is it apathy I, I don't know but 
they've not attempted to really proliferate the books. Um, sure. Aliens has, uh, is, I think it's just Alien. I can, oh, fuck it. I can never remember. I think it's Alien Singular now. Okay. Whatever. Um, they've never massively proliferated into a bunch of books. Uh, there was a one shot that they did for, I think, the 30th anniversary of the film Aliens mm-hmm. that was written by Ben Percy. That was absolutely great. Um, they did an annual issue. And then, of course, they rolled out a Predator book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which got turned into a miniseries. Also, Ben Percy, I believe, um, which was Predator versus Wolverine. Um, but that's that's as far as they've gone. Like, you know, it's not like there's three concurrently running Alien books or something like right, that. And right. and again, yet I I, I yet. yeah right. And 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 I don't think it's Marvel. Um, being like, well, we need to protect this brand, right? Like, I don't think it's a concern about brand dilution. Sure. Uh, I, I think it's purely that they don't think that there's an appetite mm-hmm. for more than one book each. Sure. Which, which is probably true. So, gotcha. What's wild to me is that these are all nonfiction. Yeah, yeah. These ones are also true. Oh, God. And, uh, no, no, no. Don't get into that. I don't want to get into that anymore. Xenomorphs at the Skinwalker Ranch. If you want to hear us talk more about conspiracy stuff, you have to check us out on Patreon, where we had a big, long conversation that's probably going to go into the Patreon extras. So, um, Kate, tell us about a book that's on the top of your 2023 list. The best read of the year for me, hands down, was a book that came out this April called Sunshine, a graphic novel by... Jarrett J. Krozaska. Um, it's technically considered a sequel to Hey Kiddo, his first o- OGN. Um, mm-hmm. But you really don't need to read that first. These are just two separate time periods in his life. The first one is when he is a younger kid and going through hard times with his family. And this one is about him as a teenager when he um, is part of a program that sends high school students to be counselors at a camp for really sick kids and their families so kids with like cancer and other big uh major illnesses and he's really nervous going into it like is this going to be really depressing am i going to say the wrong thing and then um you follow him as he kind of learns about this what is essentially a very separate world of serious childhood illnesses and Mm. bonds with these kids and um has just a fantastic time um learning about them and also bringing them like this freedom of a safe space where they can just be kids and be normal quote unquote because all the other kids there are like them right and they're always Mm -hmm. usually the odd ones out and i love this so much that this is my pick for the recommended reading challenge next year can't wait to make all of you ball your eyes out uh (laughs) cuddle up with the tissues (laughs) this one is so good but it is a five alarm snot bomb uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that was by far the best read for me. Nothing has come close. I, I, uh, had some other great ones, but that was the one that was just like, you know how those books are, you keep thinking of it weeks later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was this book for me. How about you, Mike? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that was, that was, so I cheated this year on our greeting challenge in that I read a copy of in a graphic novel by Will McPhail. I, a content warning that does deal with like cancer and family and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, I read that uh, and then snuck it into our reading challenge um, because I I could not get over how like 
impactful that book was mm-hmm. for me. Like reading it really like tore me up in a really good way. It was super relatable. It was just a beautiful book. Um, and so I, I read it at the, right at the beginning of the year and then snuck it into the reading challenge um, for, <laughs> for this current year. Um, so the book that is probably the best of 2023 for me this year is a book called Girl Juice. When I first read it, it was maybe the funniest book I'd read in a long time. It's the book that I raved about for like two weeks in a row. And it kind of follows these four girls who live together in this house, kind of focusing mostly on the comically hypersexual bunny who is so full of confidence and yet deeply depressed at the same time as she kind of just does her thing in life and says some of the funniest, most outlandish things I've ever heard in my life in such a way that I was literally like tearing up with laughter with just some of the panel drops in the way that Nate manages to get through the story to try to lead up to a punchline that is so funny. Um, The last part of this book has this really funny kind of like sequential story that's like 20 or 30 pages long about a haunting inside of this apartment that these four girls live in. Um, But you meet these four very distinctly different people living together and they're all friends. And I absolutely love just how over the top and absurd this book is um, in a way that is not like gross for the sake of gross, but gross for the sake of uh, real life. Like some of these things are just part of life when you run out of tampons or like somebody threw up and didn't flush the toilet, you know, things like that, um, that people deal with in everyday life. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's so funny from start to finish. Like I wish that I could go through with you page by page just to just read all of the funny bits of this book because it's just a banger from start to finish so that's like i don't know i as much as i would like to pick a book that's probably going to make everybody cry like kate i really want to pick a book that's very funny (laughs) Uh, but yeah so girl juice is, is amazing if you get a chance to read it it's it's so funny i just pulled it up to request it from the library is this manga looking at the cover it kind of looks like it could be no, no, no. It's a, it's a Western comic. It's, uh, okay. it's, you know, left to right. It it has like a very over the top. It, it looks like it could be a manga book, but it is it's not. It's, okay. it's just a fun little, little comic book. Uh, Nick, what about you? What's what's maybe like of all the books that you've got on your list here? What is like at the very, very top right now? Ooh, if it was alien and gosh. we already covered it, that's fine. No, but no, no, I no, figured no, no. There would be something else. I've actually been really, really pleasantly surprised with the sacrificers oh my and and obviously content warning some real bad stuff happens to some some kids in this book um although uh, it's like anthropomorphized kids in a fantasy universe i don't think that makes it any worse but it's still <laughs> doesn't make it any better that's for sure yeah it doesn't make it any better um this is by rick remander art by max fiumara that art yeah, and it, how do I get at this? It feels like everybody's tried, and and Rick Remender's tried several times already to just do a big, broad, spanning fantasy epic series that's massive world building and hyper ambitious and uh, just just a real epic of sorts. Mm-hmm. Epic as in like lord of the rings not as in like Fortnite. so i just want to make sure that we're clear on the vernacular <laughs> what's, here what's the difference nick um, uh because those are the same thing yeah <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> everybody thank the bus driver um if you don't get that that's good that's good you're you're staying out of Fortnite. um no it's i i feel like this book is just first off it's beautiful second off super ambitious but it actually is delivering and it's managing to just constantly the issues read so fast, they flow so well, the dialogue and the panels just, I mean, 
I, I cut through a book in maybe five minutes, and I mean that in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. It flows mm-hmm. well. It's engaging. It's exciting. You want to know what happens next. The book is very slowly just giving out little breadcrumbs and introducing you to new characters in a way that doesn't seem overwhelming. It's not lore dumping. Um, it's just slowly getting things out there as you sort of basically follow this core conceit that um, the people that live in this world have to, I think there's sort of like, I don't know how to describe it, like a lottery. Is that a lottery? I don't remember. Sort of. But these these kids get selected and they are taken away from their family and they're you know, given to this idea that they're going to contribute to the greater good of this society, but no one really knows what happens because they're never seen again. No one ever hears from them again. Like, are they meeting a terrible fate? Are they just living in this big city? No one really knows. And you sort of follow one of these families as the kid is, uh, he's it's an anthropomorphized pigeon. The kid is taken away mm-hmm. and, and uh, with all these other um, children and, and I don't want to give any more away. And it would also be another five to 10 minutes for me to try to explain any of the rest of the stuff that happens in this book. Yeah. It is a big, but like it, like you said, it is, it is actually epic in terms of its scale that it's trying to accomplish, like multiple threads with deep, rich pieces that are being it, it fleshed out every single issue. It's like a very impressive thing to be able to do and still have the issue read as quickly as Nick was talking about, right? Like, I totally agree. It's like reading issues of a righteous thirst for vengeance, right? Where you're like, yeah. how the hell did I just get through 32 pages so quickly? So much happened. And yet I'm done with it already. Like it, it was it was maddening. And that's exactly how this book feels. Yeah, no, the dialogue in this book is so well crafted and on point Mm -hmm. and it's amazing i I still think about i think it was issue three literally the issue is just a bunch of these kids that have been taken away from their families and they're just sitting in this room together and they're having a discussion about what they think they've been brought there for Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. why they've been taken away and what sort of purpose does this uh, kingdom or society have for them and each of these characters has a different idea of what's going to happen and it's fascinating because within that idea they sort of show you their upbringing or their worldviews or sort of the culture that they came from Mm -hmm. and how that informs what they think is going to happen. But it's literally just a discussion of a bunch of people sitting, basically sitting in a circle. And it was one of the most engaging and fastest reads I've ever thought. And I wouldn't think that would have happened. Yeah, totally. Um, Kate, did you have another book that you were you were thinking about as like one of the best you read this year? So I had several uh, reading kicks this year of like separate things where I just went on a stint of reading a bunch of something because I really liked it. So... Oh, uh, okay. One of those was I read all of Descender and then all of Ascender back to back. So to say Yo. I enjoyed those Ooh. was <laughs> is an understatement. I loved it, especially Ascender. So this is the series by Jeff Lemire, Dustin Nyan, and Steve Wands. And um, I don't think I'd say that Ascender is better. I think I am just more of a fantasy person. You know, but sure. the sure. the art is just the gorgeous, gorgeous watercolors. And I was lucky enough that my library just had all of these in paperback and no one was taking them out. So I took them all <laughs> and just plowed through them Hell yeah, one dude. a night. And 
just, oh, it's gorgeous. The story is really well crafted and very interesting. Mm-hmm. I got so attached to some of these characters, like the little dog robot. Oh, my God. <laughs> just like oh my, God. my heart. Yeah. And ultimately, I liked where it went. Like it wasn't one of these series that like fizzles out, you know. Um, there were some mm-hmm. directions that I wasn't as into or characters I wasn't as into, but it always keeps kept circling back to the really core, interesting stuff. And so I thought that was just solid mm-hmm. all the way through. Dude, I love that book so much. Driller, Driller, yes. Driller. That's all I'll say. Like, I love Driller, him so much. Driller, a real killer. Oh my God. Fucking, I never thought that like such a simple robot could break my heart so heavily. Like, it was unbelievable. Uh, Hearing that character's story. I mean, Descender Ascender, incredible series. I totally agree with you, Kay. I understand why that would be up there. I still have yet to finish Ascender, though. I think I read one issue and told myself I'd trade weight, and then I never went back to it. So I think this is the kick that I need. I'm glad I trade weighted um, on these because I. it is a series that I don't think I could have kept track of everything well month to month. Um but yes, go back and read Ascender, Mike. You gotta. Okay. Also, I'm pretty sure at this point you can just get it like free on Hoopla yeah. for all of these because it's old enough image stuff. Oh no, I think in the uh, Comicsology sites going away forever sale that they did, I did end up buying like so many books to be like, I'm gonna get all these for really cheap, and I think Ascender was one of those books. Um, I just think I need to go oh, back is that and sale read. Still going? No, no. This is this is back that. in the day. This is before they shut down Comicsology.com. Okay. And I promise, folks, we're we're gonna do I think a special Patreon episode. That's all about like the the end of comicsology. I think we're going to do that for December. So if you're not signed up, now would be the time because we're going to drop that right before the end of the year. So um, small little plug there. Let me talk about one other book really quick because I, I, I will say for today's episode, um, Kate, Nick and I kind of just said like, all right, let's just make a huge list and talk about it. And I had to filter down from my 137 of 2071 rows in this this spreadsheet that I had. That seems like more than I actually read this year. I don't think I read 2000 rows or 2000 books, but I did have 137 five star reviews. So I did read. I'll just briefly go over some of the books that are like ongoing that had mixed reviews, not all five stars um, as I was reading them issue or by issue or chapter by chapter. One piece is up there, obviously, because some of those issues are great and some of those chapters are not great um kaiju number eight consistently like fours and fives that book rules if you haven't read kaiju number eight and you're looking for a really cool kaiju book that's like half mecha half kaiju um kaiju number eight is awesome uh indigo children is up there i had like first issue really kicked ass the second issue not so much the third issue was great fourth issue okay fifth issue great like it's really up and down book for me. Um, Clobberin' Time. This is a series by Steve Scross that was all about the thing interacting with like random people across the Marvel Universe with this unbelievable art issue to issue. Um, I think if you're looking for like a really cool miniseries that's just like runs the gamut of the Marvel Universe and focuses around everyone's favorite character, the thing, this book totally rules. Clobberin' Time by Steve Scross. Um, plus the art, you will you will lose your mind with the detail put into this book. It's one of those things where you're, we all, I think, sometimes see stories like Clobber in Time and we wonder why doesn't Marvel let people just randomly run with a book for five to <laughs> ten issues every once in a while like this? Um, and it's, I, I'm sure there's a reason. It's time and money and whatever. But like getting books like this every once in a while, like Clobber in Time, is so fun. Um, so if you're looking for just a cool like OGN that's 
all or five chapter series that's all by one person. They did the, the writing, the drawing, the art, um, clobbering times up there. Um, and then I think the best books that I read this year that were single issues were The Enfield Gang Massacre. This is by Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. It's a Western book about a gang that is was apparently murdered by the town's chief of police slash this this Texas Ranger. Um, there's we really don't know the complete details of it, but we know that they all died. Um, and so we get their story as to what actually happened is in the fiction of this world and this made up town and county of Texas. Um, Chris Conan and Jacob Phillips also worked on that Texas Blood, which I read this year. Um, amazing book. But if you're looking for like a really cool little Western, I know we've screamed about it at the from the mountaintops on this podcast, but that's definitely up there with uh, Swan Songs by W. Maxwell Prince and a handful of different artists that he's worked on in that series so far. The last issue hasn't come out yet, but as I said on the show, I think last week it's going to be a a freaking uh, Ice Cream Man tie-in, which is the most exciting part of this entire <laughs> series as far as I'm concerned, because it means that Nick and I can then talk about a different series that isn't Ice Cream Man as part of our Ice Cream Man miniseries um, that we've been doing for like four years now, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, Swan Songs has been great because it's been a combination of extremely anxiety-inducing depression while also being a bright light of shining hope at this in in multiple issues. And I don't know how W. Maxwell Prince is able to do it, but each mm -hmm. issue for me has been fives, just five bangers across the board. So um I'm just going to throw those out there really quick uh, just because my list is huge. I have like 20, 30 books almost on the list. Uh, so I don't know. Nick, Kate, did you guys have uh, maybe one more book we can we can talk about or maybe whatever you've got on your list if you want to go through them really, really quickly um, before we wrap up this episode? My other main reading kick was uh, Joe Sacco OGNs. So content warning for all the content warnings of war crimes and atrocities and all the horrible things that happen in war zones and refugee camps, including sexual assaults and gore and, you know, the things. Whoa. And yeah, after that, I went on a nothing but cheerful kick, uh, surprisingly. <laughs> but okay. man, these are so, so good. And um extra interesting stuff especially his um stuff on palestine given the recent conflict and gives a lot of interesting mm -hmm. uh context and i just love the way so he's an investigative journalist right and the way he goes about telling these stories um with himself in the story as the journalist is really interesting to me and um mm. they just yeah they are massive punches to the gut um because it turns out reading about uh what happened in bosnia during the bosnian war is depressing as shit <laughs> but um uh yeah it's it is still really fascinating and um really really well done there's a reason he's won so mm -hmm. many major awards for these wow i never heard of this guy before which is crazy but it sounds like this is something i need to read i'm going to probably check out his palestine book because i didn't know that he did one yeah, about that um, um you so know. they're all nonfiction, so there's def they're definitely you know right a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay well nick any any last few mentions before we wrap up here yeah i'll i'll go through a few quick hits here that uh you know didn't get mentioned earlier mm -hmm. Kaya by Wes Craig. Look, it's Wes Craig. I don't need to say anything more. It's he's such a powerhouse. He's so great. Um, 
in hell we fight. I understand why people maybe sort of were a little cool to this. It's true. John Lehman plugs every single one of his books. Like it's the best and the last, <laughs> you know, and the greatest thing he's ever done. And it's the most wonderful thing he's ever done. And it's his most heartbreaking work of shattering genius. And I get it. Like the man's hustling. That's mm-hmm, fine. Mm-hmm. So I understand that when he does this all the time, I think people sometimes kind of ignore it. But honestly, In Hell We Fight is the most fun book he's done in a long time uh, with Jock on art. This is confusingly Jock without a C. Right, different Jock. Um, Jock on art um, as just this fun, crazy romp through literally hell itself. Um, uh, the art is really interesting. It's a looser line work style. I would definitely recommend that book. Uh, if we want to talk about one of the most beautiful books I've read that I did not understand and will probably require three to four more re- readings, um, I would say uh, Mr. Mammoth by Matt Kent with Jean-Denis uh, Pendant. Um, probably attempted to get that right. Still probably got it wrong. Um, absolutely beautiful graphic novel um, from Flux House, which is Matt Kent's imprint at Dark Horse, where he uh, takes 7 or $8 from my wallet every month uh, with a 30-page issue, and I complain about it every month on this show, and I still buy the fucking books. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm the chump, Matt. That Texas Blood already brought up, Where Monsters Lie, I can't recommend Where Monsters Lie enough. Obviously, it's about serial killers. There's some pretty dark stuff here. Kind of the idea of what do all these serial killers do in their downtime? How do they keep on the lowdown? It turns out that's because they live in a gated private community where they all live together. And and the the bit Um, of that book is that, like, what if all of the serial killers from, like, movies and different things were, like, real people that had to live their life and survive between the movies themselves? Like, it's kind of a funny conceit. Yeah, it's, um, it really takes on a new meaning for just how terrifying a homeowner's organization association can be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's not even a bit. That's in the book. <laughs> yes. And for me, Kyle Starks, uh, obviously known for being a funny man, which is such a difficult thing to do in comics. Uh, for me, I haven't read his uh, Rick and Morty and some of his other funny stuff has kind of been um, more miss than hit. But this year, um, between Where Monsters Lie and also... What is it called? I hate this place. Fuck this place. Yeah, fuck this place. I hate, hate this place. Yeah. This place. This absolutely knocked it out of the park with both of those Agreed. books as books that are both genuinely scary and genuinely action packed, but also has humor elements involved. Yeah. Um, absolutely stellar work with both of those. And, and then I, I would say uh, Hunger in the Dusk by G. Willow Wilson. Oh. Um, the, the uh, fa- when they're gonna get together yeah. when they're gonna yeah. get together when is it gonna happen yeah. i i keep reading every issue when is it gonna right. happen it's it's like the perfect fantasy like high fantasy book that also has like the most obvious will they won't they thing in the middle of it it's so good it's so good well it's not even will they won't they it's, it's when it's they when, will when will they when will, when they? will this yeah. happen yeah. um <laughs> i feel like it's so funny because i feel like there's like between this book and uh the series that uh marjorie Liu just put out really recently with uh sana takeda um hmm. but you know they, they took a break from monstrous to put out these like two or three book series um like there's some really 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 good high fantasy stuff out there right now and i'm loving it like absolutely loving it if i had the mental fortitude to sit down and read all of monstrous in a couple of sittings i would definitely do it but that book is so jam-packed with data i'm like i can only read one book every like couple of months um but i really love it i really love the, the just the beauty of everything and like saying 
you can do this in comics the same way that a Brandon Sanderson or whoever else can do it in, in novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. love that they're doing that. And I think the new series is also like that too. Like it's just heavy, heavy um, with all of that, uh, the fantasy stuff, but it, I haven't read it yet, but I'm glad that books like this are out there um, because I definitely buy them. I just haven't read them yet, <laughs> but I like, yeah. I know I want to support them because I, I absolutely love that that stuff is coming out and I really do want to read them. Yeah. The, the the last one for me and just to be brief cuz I've I talked about this a ton I think the last time I was on the show um just petrol head. Yes, I get it. There's only two issues out. I realize I'm that guy, <laughs> right? Like issue 2 just dropped uh-huh. and I'm like best of the year, best of the year. Like I'm that guy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Um but what a colorful book. What a great art style. Um genuinely an all ages book that really delivers for all readers. Um, it doesn't compromise, um, you know, trying to, you know, make it more kid friendly or trying to like sneak in double entendres like a Pixar movie so that it, uh, uh, you know, um, appeals to multiple audiences. It genuinely is an all ages book. That's a lot of fun. It deals with some slightly, um, you know, broader topics that we're tackling with right now in the world mm-hmm. um and, and look they they fucking dropped a christmas issue for december okay like when you I mean, can pull that was it off, a christmas right? issue though nick i mean it had a christmas cover i'll say that yeah yeah that's good enough for me yeah. i'm not gonna uh what a great book yeah. uh, just really fun really beautiful uh great action just that 2000 a.d cynical look at the future where it's like yeah we've got robots but we all still hate each other mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah that book rules i can't recommend the book enough let's see well i'm gonna let me just throw out like two more books and then i'll wrap us yeah. up here um i also read and i love this book and you know what if you if you didn't like this book send us an email ircbpodcast at gmail.com but okay. i read batman one bad day the riddler number one maybe the edge lordiest book that i've read in a while but in a good way i i really love this okay. book from this from the sense in the sense that like danny's danny who's proof listening right now is pulling up the hardcover right in front of us um that, that book is so good like it definitely takes the david fincher approach of like hyper everything and puts it into a comic book and i don't know maybe it's just because i watched the killer recently but i thought about this book when or i thought about like fight club and memento and those books that those movies that all seem to inspire these like super edge lordy type of movies and comics these days but i i feel like tom king takes the edge off of some of that uh to a certain extent and i think mitch gerard's just like nailed the story nailed everything about like the way that things are supposed to look inserting celebrities into character pieces which i totally love like john ham is batman for him and i kind of just love that um so I don't know. That book was really good. It really impressed me um, for like 92 pages or something like that. It's totally worth the hardcover price, I think, um, of like 17 bucks. But uh, yeah, I really, really like that. And I also liked uh, Numb to This. This is by Kendra Neely. Um, big old warning about this book. It is about school shootings and violence and uh, against, you know, younger people and children. Um, but I think, Kate, if I'm not mistaken, you turned me on to this book. Uh, yeah, it was one of the books that I was going to read. And then uh, I read as like a, I talked about it on the show as like the next thing I wanted to read. And uh, then yeah. I finished reading really depressing stuff. And I was like, no, yeah. this, no, I need a palate cleanser. <laughs> Dude, no, that's the thing. This book, I, I read it. I got it from the library and I came home and I 
let it sit on the table for a couple of days. And finally, I was like, all right, I should actually get around to read this because it seems like it's an important book, um, especially what was happening at the time when I got it. And so I read it and I I like bawled at my table, like not because of like the the tale of the the, the story or necessarily, which I mean, maybe that makes me sound like callous. But um, the fact that like the way that Neely talks about her own personal frustration with the fact that something like school shootings could happen over and over and over again, just like overwhelmed me to the point where I just was like, this is like, it's, it's like a paralyzing. This is so unfair that this is continues to happen. Um, and I think she totally just nails the feeling and in the way that she describes and shows everything. And she's, she, I think pays a really strong attention to be very caring about talking about this subject. Um, not only because she was involved in like an active school shooting had happened at her school, but like the way that she approaches how she kept seeing these things over and over and over in the media. Um, and it broke her heart every single time is so careful um, is really good. Totally broke my heart. But like what, what an amazing book for someone to put out to raise awareness for just this plague that is happening in America. Um yeah, I don't know. I really appreciate you recommending it to me, but it totally did like destroy me for a day. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll read it after I I have um like the newest Babysitters Club graphic novel uh, out, and like <laughs> yeah, I'll just... I'll do that, and then I'll be ready. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, a little honey, little vinegar, yep. right? Um, I, I the last book I want to talk about before we wrap up here is I just literally last night read Parasocial by Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson. Holy shit, guys. Holy shit. Is this one of the best books that was published in, in recent history? Like Alex DeCampi not only nails this comic, but the back the 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 back matter of this hardcover is some of the most like I'm not going to I'm not going to tiptoe around the problems that I have in the comic industry. I'm going to call people out by name. I'm going to talk about the problems that we have in this industry, not only with like the way that fans and creators interact, but also the people who like are the problem in comics. And I thought one super bold of her and two, like the comic reads unbelievably well. Like it's it's such a beautiful book from start to finish. Uh, the parasocial relationship between our main character this this good looking man from an old sci-fi show uh and the people who are obsessed with him is so well done um DeCampi says in the back matter that she some of the stuff that she mentions in this book is like verbatim phrases that she's heard in real life right no person or thing is really based around anything um any particular subject but she takes you know the amalgamation of fandom and the amalgamation of of things that create fandom and then turns it into a story so yeah, if you haven't had a chance to read this, it's worth your money. It's worth to have on your shelf. Such a good story. Uh, and the back matter is incredible. Between her and Erica or DeCampi's writing and Henderson's writing, um, you get a full look into this book. And I loved it. Loved every single page of it. Can't recommend it enough. Um, so I guess that's that's the show this week. Unless you guys had any final thoughts. Um, uh, anything you're looking forward to in 2024? I know that's a that's a on the on the spot question, but um yeah, I, I'm glad that we all read so many good comics this year. Like this list that we we talked about today is longer in our notes. Um, so I'm glad that we had the chance to read more really or really good comics this year, guys. I think with that, though, we will wrap things up uh, next week and the week after. We're going to have two mini-sodes coming out from Paul and Kate and Zach, Kate Lamphere. Um, they're going to be talking about their interests 
outside of comics dot 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 um i'm really excited to hear these episodes because i haven't listened to them myself yet um but i i i'm confident that with paul and kate and zach in charge it's it's going to be really really good it sounds to me like they had an incredible time recording these episodes so i hope you enjoy them as well um i know they're going to be talking about wrestling i know they're going to be talking about knitting um there's probably going to be a bunch of other stuff so get yourself hyped for those two episodes and then we're going to be back in 2024 um it's going to be uh uh, the beginning of the lead up to episode 400. It's going to be me and Kate and Paul. We're going to be talking about the beginning of year nine of IRCB, what we're looking forward to in the year and so much more. So look forward to that. So yeah, I guess to wrap things up, Infinity Shred is the best band of the universe. They do all of our music. Xander makes tea when it gets cold. Just knock on the door. He'll let you have a cup. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I want to say thank you to Kate and Nick for this episode. Thank you for Danny for being our proof listener today. Thank you to everyone hanging out with us in the Discord chat. You are fantastic human beings. And if you got this far in the show, you are also a fantastic human being. Thank you for listening to us just ramble and do all sorts of wild stuff this past year in the past freaking eight years of this show. Um, yeah, I want to say thank you again. Until next time, comics are good and so are you. Yeah.